welcome to An Amazingly Ordinary Life, the podcast that takes a behind-the-scenes look at the world of special needs. I'm Sherry Tharp, an autism mom and your host. Join me each week as we share our lives, build community, and redefine normal. This is An Amazingly Ordinary Life, Episode 1. Today, I'm going to kick off the podcast by talking with you about my experience with raising a son on the autism spectrum. I'm sharing it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So settle in and let's get started. I'm Sherry Tharp, and I have been married for 25 years to my best friend, my Prince Charming, CJ. We both work full-time outside of the house. We live here in Texas with our three kids, Corbin, who's 21, Logan is 19, and Libby is 17. The boys have both graduated from high school, and Libby should graduate next year. Logan is my special needs child. 17 years ago, he was diagnosed with high-functioning autism. He started out developing just as he should, hitting all of his milestones. He didn't have any issues. He was learning words, made eye contact, didn't have anything that stood out to us as a problem. He was developing just as other kids his age would. But around the age of 15 months, we started noticing some different things, just all these little tiny red flags that individually didn't concern us at all. But overall, looking at the picture now, knowing what we know now, it was obvious that there was something going on. He had a lot of the classically autistic traits as far as what I consider classically autistic. He did the hand flapping, the toe walking. He was behind a little bit in some of his developmental areas, but it wasn't anything that concerned us. It was just things that we could easily find excuses for. So we realized that he didn't know how to use a spoon when he would sit at the table, but that was easy to chalk up to the fact that I never gave him a spoon. It was messy. And with Logan having an older brother so close in age, dinner time was just get him fed as efficiently and cleanly as possible. So he either ate with his hands or I would help feed him. That was just what we did. We had moved recently at that time and enrolled him in the cradle roll class at church, which is for the littles, two years old and under. And when the teachers would sing songs and have all the little babies do the hand motions, Logan would never join in or do those hand motions. He always had to do his own thing. And the teacher brought it up to us one day and we just chalked it up to, well, he's not been in this class forever. Of course, he doesn't know when to pat the Bible or to roll the car or to do those things. And so that was easy to just dismiss as, again, he hadn't been in there. So that was easy to come up with an excuse for. There were some things that were a little bit harder to explain. One of those things was we realized that he was losing his words. I left Logan and Corbin with the babysitter for a couple of hours one day. And when I got back, he was crying. And she said he'd been crying just about the whole time I had been gone. And when he saw me, he reached out and just started yelling, mama, mama, mama. And I remember thinking, wow, how long has it been since he said that? I just remember thinking that I hadn't heard that in a really long time. And that got us realizing that he wasn't using the words that he had. At that point, he had been able to say mama and dada and ball and ask for more food. He did know a few signs because when his 
older brother was a baby, that's when the whole teacher baby sign language became popular. And so I had continued that on with Logan. So he did know a couple of signs. So that was something that we started paying attention to. But again, he was the baby. He had an older sibling. So whenever he would grunt or point to anything, all of us would just jump to do whatever it is he wanted. So of course he didn't need to use his words. We weren't reinforcing that with him. And then also we started noticing that we could shout his name right next to him, like be right up next to his head. And he wouldn't even flinch if you were shouting or there were loud noises. But then again, you could be across the room and whisper his name and he would turn to your attention. The biggest concern that we had, the most worrisome thing that we started noticing was he began to throw massive temper tantrums. And even though he was almost two, it was so far beyond terrible twos. He would scream and cry and he would always go to our entryway and he would throw himself down on the ceramic tile, of course, head first, and he would kick and beat his hands and slam his head in the floor and just scream and cry. And he was inconsolable. And we didn't know what was going on. We couldn't figure out what was triggering it. He didn't seem to be in pain or he wasn't hungry. It wasn't always like at nap time. We couldn't figure out what was going on. So I started thinking, looking at everything that was going on with him and thinking that maybe he had some kind of hearing issue. The fact that sometimes we could get his attention and sometimes we couldn't is what led me in that direction. I started talking to a friend of mine who was a teacher and she suggested that I get testing through the school district. At the time, I didn't realize this was a possibility. We didn't have insurance. We were pretty much broke. I couldn't afford to take him in anywhere. But what I didn't know is that I pay taxes those taxes pay for schools. And so even though I had kids who weren't old enough to be in the schools, I was eligible for anything the school district offered. And that was huge to hear that. So immediately I signed him up for a hearing test and he passed. He passed with flying colors. So then we're back at square one. If it's not a hearing issue, what was going on? And the diagnostician at the time suggested we needed to do further testing. So that's what we did. We scheduled for more thorough, in-depth testing. We had two therapists, diagnosticians come to our house, and I had to fill out a lot of paperwork, answer tons and tons of questions. They spent a lot of time on the floor with Logan, observing him, playing with him, seeing how he reacted to different things. And at the end of all the testing, the diagnostician told me that while she couldn't give me a formal diagnosis because at that time they refused to give a diagnosis until the children were three, she told me he was on the autism spectrum. She said she believed he was high functioning, but he was definitely on the spectrum. Autism at that time meant nothing to me. My only reference, which is pretty common, at that time was the movie Rain Man. So what I knew about autism is they didn't like to be touched. They didn't like to make eye contact and he didn't have really spontaneous language. So none of that seemed to fit Logan. I didn't understand that diagnosis, but as they went on to explain, it doesn't always present itself the same way in every child. So we had a name for it. My son was autistic. 
And so what I did at that point was I had a name for this. If I have a name for it, that means that I have power. Knowledge is power. And so what I did at that point was I launched myself completely into learning everything I could about autism. Eventually, we were able to get on Medicare to help pay for therapies. And over the next couple of years, he had twice weekly speech therapy. He had occupational therapy. We did water therapy. Everything that he did outside of the house, we replicated as much as we could or built on as much as we could in the house. So that way he was always getting help. Not long after his diagnosis, I found out that I was pregnant with his sister, Libby. So while we were dealing with all of this stuff with Logan, we also have his older brother, Corbin, and then his younger sister, Libby. So that was always a juggling act. Having two kids who had to be carried most of the time. Logan was a runner. And while I would carry Libby, I also had to have a tight hold on Logan. And he was very fond of doing that spaghetti noodle move to where you try to pick up a kid or have them walk and they just turn completely limp. So there were a lot of times that I would have to carry both of them up to our second story apartment. That was tons of fun, let me tell you, but great for the biceps. So from about the age of two to the age of maybe four, Logan didn't really have a sleep cycle. His body didn't know that you sleep at night and you get rest and then you wake up in the morning and you go about your day. He didn't have that. So he would wake up and be ready to go. And he would go, 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 go until he just crashed. And then he'd be out. And it could be he would crash in the afternoon. It could be that he just kept going until late at night. We never knew. We just couldn't figure out how to get a regular sleep cycle with him, which was tough because, again, we had a baby. At one point, we had a two-bedroom apartment. And I had Corbin and Libby sharing a room and Logan would have his own room because he would wake up in the middle of the night and we didn't want him to wake up his siblings or we would have battles for him to go to sleep to where I would lay in bed with him and keep him in bed and he would just kick and scream and cry until he wore himself out. I was always worried during this time that one of our neighbors was going to call CPS on us and wondering what we were doing to this kid that was torturing him to where he was screaming and yelling so much. So I took him to the doctor and they put him on some heavy duty medication that turned him into a psycho demon child. So that one didn't last long. And then I'd heard about melatonin, which is natural. And I'd heard a lot about the positive effects it had with helping people sleep. So we started with a quarter of a tablet. I would crush it up into just powder. I would mix it in with either a bite of yogurt or a bite of peanut butter. An hour before bed, he would get that. And we did that for a few months and then eventually bumped up to half the tablet, same thing. So it took over the course of like nine months to a year that worked for him. And eventually he was able to go to sleep at night, sleep through the night and then get up in the morning, which was amazing because then that meant that I was sleeping as well. Because of his birthday, he has a September birthday. He started preschool when he was three. He ended up with three years of preschool, and I am so grateful for those extra years. During his time in preschool, he eventually did get potty trained somewhere between the age of four and five. He also started getting some more language, which was amazing. I mean, we did 
We continued with the sign language. He used a PEX system, which is a picture exchange system where if he wants something, he has to go find the picture of it and hand it to me so I know what it is he wants. But also during this time of preschool, I learned two of the best lessons as far as raising a child with special needs. And one of the lessons came from his primary preschool teacher, which was teacher Karen. At that time, I was always trying to make things easier for Logan and for myself. So if he needed to put his coat on, I would do it for him. If he needed to put his shoes on, I would do it for him because it's quicker that way. And I didn't want him to struggle with anything. And I was always stepping in. And one time she called me on it. Actually, I'm sure it was a lot more than just one time. But she called me on that and she said, why aren't you letting him do this for himself? And in my brain, it was really just like a, well, duh, he's got special needs. He's got autism. Hello. And she set me right and let me know that just because he has autism and just because he has special needs does not mean he can't do these things for himself. And I needed to let him be as independent as possible. And I don't know why, but that was a revelation to me. I never thought that I should be expecting the same level of things as I was expecting from my other kids. And it wasn't the same level, but in the way that I would expect as much out of his brother Corbin as I knew he could handle, I needed to be expecting as much out of Logan as he could handle. And that changed things for me. And that was, that was the best lesson. But something else I learned while he was in preschool is a friend of mine who also has an autistic child that we met through preschool, Jennifer. I just love her to death. And hopefully I will be interviewing her at some point. But I was completely appalled. And some of you may be completely offended by this, but I love this because she used to pick on her son with autism. And I don't mean that she would like cut him down or anything like that, but she treated him just like she would treat any other child. So if her son came to her being particularly whiny, she would say the same things to him as I would say to Corbin, like really whining, that's going to get you nowhere. Things like that. Like when Corbin or Libby would say something to me or be throwing a fit that you know is for attention, you call them on it. It's just something that we do and sarcasm runs rampant in my family. So if they're being whiny, I'm going to be whiny back and Oh, it's so sad. You can't get that candy bar when you haven't eaten your lunch and things like that. And between the two of them, it helped me to realize that I needed to treat Logan the same way that I treated his siblings. I may have different expectations of what I know he can handle, and I may have to discipline a little bit differently, which was definitely the case, but I needed to still have expectations for him. And I needed to expect him to be as independent as he could be and to do as much as he was capable of doing. And that was amazing. That was amazing in how we approached him and how we prepared him and taught him for things to come. When he started first grade, he did have an aide who was available to be there for him for anything that he needed. If he needed to be pulled out of class because a reading assignment was stressing him out, they would pull him out of class. They would pull him out for speech. So she was there with him the whole year, but also in first grade, he started 
exhibiting some aggression. And it started out at home. And there's a lot that they can get away with at home. I feel like that we will take on ourselves. Because with any child, whether they are normal or neurotypical, or they have special needs, any kid, they get through school, they hold it together long enough to get through school, and then they get home and that's when they lose it. That's when they break down. That's when they can let everything out because that's their safe zone. So when Logan started being aggressive and violent, it started out with being directed at me. And I took it because I figured, well, I'm his safe space. I'll let him get it out because I can handle it. I'm the mom. I can take on anything. So at different times, he tried to claw my eyes out. He was very intentionally going for my eyes. He tried to choke me. I have been bitten, spit on. I have been spit on so many times by that kid that surely I'm immune to everything that's out there. And it was stressful and it was a burden because the thing with Logan and his temper tantrums or his violence or his aggression is once he's over it, he's over it. And it's like a switch has flipped and then he's fine. And he may even apologize for his behavior with some prompting, but he's over it. And I don't get over it that fast. It lingers and I'm exhausted and I'm worn out emotionally. But again, I can take it. Then he started being aggressive toward his siblings. And most of the time I was quick and could intervene and diffuse the situation. But there were a few times that I had three children crying and yelling and it was just a full on meltdown across the family. But again, I was thinking that I was staying enough ahead of it that it was going to be okay. While in the back of my mind, I was really worried because this kid was a brick and at some point he was going to get so big that I couldn't use the restraining methods that I knew how to do to calm him down and to keep him safe and to keep others safe. And that's not me locking him in a room. That's not me tying him down. But people who have kids with special needs who are really active, there are safe restraining methods that you can use to keep your child safe and to keep others safe. And that's what I would do. And I worried at some point he was going to be uncontrollable. What really sparked a change was he became aggressive at school. I got a call from the school and they told me that Logan had thrown his chair across the room and he had gotten up and run across all the desks while the teacher was trying to chase him down. The aide came in and she was able to wrangle him into the principal's office where he then punched the principal. And this is at the age of probably about eight years old. And I was mortified and I knew they were going to kick him out because they would be well within their right to suspend a child for being violent. But the principal, I just love this man. I apologized over and over again for my son punching him. And he said, well, he really didn't hit that hard. Right now he's on my iPad. So he's good until you can pick him up. And they were amazing. So we got him through the school year. And at the end of the school year, I decided to homeschool him. At that point, I had been homeschooling his brother for a year and his sister wasn't old enough to be in even preschool yet. So that wasn't an issue. So we started the next school year homeschooling him and he actually did great. I could work on his schedule. I could give him extra time. If he didn't want to do an assignment, 
and he threw a fit about it, that's okay. I could wait him out for 24 hours or however long it took. But that year for the holidays, we were flying to go see my husband's family in Texas. And the closer we got, the more I realized that with Logan's aggressive behavior, I didn't know if we would even make it through the airport, much less on an airplane. And we'd flown several times at this point, but not with this aggression. So I sought the help of a behavioral specialist. And through the things that she shared with me and a lot of patience and a lot of consistency, we were able to get control of his behavior. And again, it took a lot of him spitting on me and trying to headbutt me, but we made it through that. In total, I homeschooled him for three years. So four years for his brother and sister, and then three years with Logan altogether. We eventually moved to Texas. And I knew when we moved that I was going to have to go back to work full time. So the kids had to go back to public school. And that was terrifying for me to send Logan back to school. They chose to have him fully integrated. They didn't want to bring in an aide since he hadn't had an aide up to that point. Although I did argue that being homeschooled was basically like having a live-in aide. They chose to have him be in all the typical classes with the neurotypical children and all of the regular classes. He did get pulled out about twice a week for speech and the, he did have accommodations. He did have an IEP, which is an individualized education plan. Without that, he would not have accommodations such as he needed smaller settings for testing and he needed longer time and assignments. Assignments that were to be written, he needed to be able to have more time or to be able to type them out on the computer as well. He did have some amazing teachers and amazing programs. He also had horrifying school and situation to the point to where I was looking into bringing legal action against the district. He was bullied in school. He never had any friends. He hated school and he never wanted to be there. He constantly fought everything. It was, oh, it was a struggle. Homework, schoolwork, writing assignments, projects, essays, finals. Everything was a battle with Logan. When he got into high school, he discovered there was a D&D club and it met two days a week because not everybody could meet on one day. So they had two different clubs, a Monday club and a Thursday club. Logan found out about this and on his own, he found out where they were meeting, what times they were, and we worked out a schedule to where two days a week, Logan stayed after. And those were his people. He lived for those meetings and he loved it. And that was probably the only thing that he actually enjoyed about high school. And I am so grateful for all those Dungeons and Dragons kids and the teachers who sponsored it because it's the only thing probably that kept Logan going even on those days. He was able to graduate by the skin of his teeth, let me tell you, because he was ready to drop out in his junior year and his dad was ready to let him. They just were going to let him get his GED when he turned 18 and that was going to be it. But the way I saw it, he isn't going to be driving anytime in the near future. It's too much stress and anxiety. He had no plans to go to college, still has no plans to go to college or tech school or vocational school. It's not something that he wants to do. It's not something that I believe he would be successful in. 
And he made it through high school because I held his hand the entire way. And I was not prepared to do that all through college for something he didn't want to do. He has no interest in girls or relationships. So, you know, that's not really on the horizon, having a girlfriend, marriage, any of that. We do believe he will be able to handle a part-time job. So that's our goal. But graduating from high school for the foreseeable future, that's going to be his biggest accomplishment. And as much as he struggled with school, that was going to be a huge accomplishment. So I refused to let him drop out. I figured he needed that diploma and I had earned that diploma just as much as he had. So I kept on him and it wasn't until we didn't know until after he even took his last finals, if he was going to graduate, but he did. And he was so excited seeing that kid smile and get excited after he got his diploma and after he received it and he was leaving the stage, his arms just both shot up way in the air. And he was said, thank you, God, it's over. And we just died laughing. And it was just a great moment to see him having finished that and he made it through. And that just took such a huge burden off of all of us that he had finished this. So that was awesome to see. And to share that with all of his family and friends who'd been supporting us through the years was, it was a great event to be able to celebrate for him. Along the way, we did have a lot of struggles that I've touched on. His not sleeping, trying to afford services. At one point we lost our Medicaid and had to stop speech therapy because we found out that it was $200 an hour and there was no way we could afford that. We weren't able to get him on social security because we made too much money. But if we cut down our income, we wouldn't have been able to afford our bills. So he wasn't able to get on disability when he was younger to pay for all of his therapies. It is isolating to be a parent of special needs because it's hard to go anywhere when you don't know how he's going to behave, especially when you have two other children, it's kind of a circus. And then you don't want to invite anyone in your home because you don't want them to see your kid at his worst and either look at him differently and judge him or not want to come back because it was crazy and stressful. But the biggest thing we struggled with through all of this, and like I said, there were some hard times, was high school. For all of my kids, their freshman year was the hardest, but we made it through that. But the last year of high school, when I was forcing Logan to go to school and he didn't want to go and he knew his dad was okay with him not going. And he didn't understand why I was making him do all of this. We're really tough because making him do homework almost always broke down into screaming and crying on both sides, on his side and my side. Tears were always involved. And the longer we went, the worse it got. It got to the point to where he actually broke down and said he didn't understand why I was making him do this when there was no point to his life anyway. He couldn't see a future that held anything good for him because as I just said, he wasn't going to be driving. He's not going to college. He's not looking for a career, just some kind of part-time job that will work with his abilities and his limitations. At this point, we don't know if he'll ever live on his own. He doesn't 
have any designs on relationship or getting married or a family. So he didn't see anything in his future that was worthwhile. And he actually talked about killing himself because there was no point to his life. He just figured there was nothing for him in his future anyway, so why was he even alive? And he told me that he hates his brain. He hates being the way he is. He feels like his brain is always against him, working against him. And he doesn't like it. He, he doesn't like being autistic. He doesn't like struggling that he does. He doesn't like not having friends. And that's a really, really hard to hear as a mom. To hear your child say that they might as well just be dead because there's nothing good for them. And what do you say? <laughs> I don't have an encouraging verse for that. I don't have scripture for that. I don't, I don't know how to combat that other than to just tell him that we love him so much and that he brings so much joy to us and we would be lost without him. I, I had nothing. So we just climbed into bed and snuggled up together and cried together because that's all I could give him. I'm a bit in awe of you parents out there who are able to look at your child and the things that they struggle with and say that you wouldn't change it for a thing. You wouldn't change the journey. You wouldn't change their diagnosis you wouldn't change your child for anything. And I get that, but I don't agree with it in my case because I've heard from my son and I know he struggles and I want the best for my kids. And I can't just hand them everything on a silver platter and I have no intention of doing that. And I make them learn the worth of things and the worth of doing things for themselves. But knowing that this diagnosis that my son has is causing him to think that he is worthless, that life is not worth living, that he's useless. If I was given the opportunity to take that away from my son, I would do it in a heartbeat. And you're welcome to judge me on that. And I'm okay with that. I would absolutely, absolutely change his brain if I could because it makes him miserable and I don't want that for my child. <sighs> Raising a child with special needs is hard. It strains your friendships. It strains relationships with your family members because even if they are a part of your family and they're part of your life. They rarely see it at its worst. That usually happens when kids know they're in a safe zone and they know that they're with mom and dad and that's who they're with all the time. And that's when you see, that's when you see the worst of it. So family doesn't always understand. Siblings don't always get it and they see the hard ends of it, but it's a real strain on your marriage. 
And that strain can either bring you closer together or it can tear you apart. The divorce rate among families with special needs is pretty high. But for CJ and I, it really brought us together. We were the only ones who knew what was going on with Logan. And we were the only ones who got him. And it really pulled us together as a team to rely on each other and to have each other's back. And for us, it's only made us stronger and brought us to a different level, I think, than we would have been otherwise. And so for us, it had a positive impact on our relationship. But these days, they're pretty low-key. Logan hangs out at the house. He spends pretty much his entire day on the computer. When we make his brother and sister take the dogs for a walk, we make him go as well just so he can get out of the house and get a little bit of vitamin D. Before the pandemic hit and the coronavirus and all of this, he would go once a week. He has a group that he meets with out at a comic book shop about an hour away, and they play Pathfinder, which is another role-playing game similar to Dungeons and Dragons. And he plays with these guys and they're different ages and they just accepted him in right as one of them. And he has a great time there and we don't hover. We drop him off and we go off and do something else. And he's there for three hours on his own. So he has his time with his guys and then we pick him up when he's done. And he has a great time with that. After the whole shelter in place hit, he was doing it online with them, meeting up and doing it virtually. And that's great. He does do a lot of online gaming with other people and we love that because he gets super excited and we love hearing him interacting with other people, even if it is just online and that's fun for him. That's pretty much what his days look like. When everything calms down, we are going to look for a part-time job for him. We need to find somebody that will work with him and rely on his gifts and be there to support him in the areas that aren't as strong. He is not a customer service person, but he does have other areas that we know he would shine in and be great at. So that's the plan for once things kind of calm down a bit. And one of the questions I ask my guests in interviews is when the overwhelm gets to be too much, how do you recharge and keep going? And I have to tell you that It was years, years before I ever did anything to recharge. I am not good at self-care, even though I can tell you how important it is. And I know that it's necessary. I just don't do it. As moms, we have great guilt complexes. And as moms of special needs kids, I feel like that guilt complex is magnified because course there's always something more we could be doing and there's always therapies out there and there's always new techniques and there's new things we could be trying or doing or anything so for me to go okay I'm going to step away and spend time on myself that just doesn't happen I don't enjoy getting my hair done or getting my nails done spa days are too expensive I don't have the money to get away I don't know what to do with myself, honestly, if I'm not busy. So there's always excuses. But I have got back to reading. This happened not long after we dealt with Logan's aggression and that trip that we took to Texas. That was a successful trip, by the way. And during that trip is where I rediscovered my love of reading. 
And that's pretty much how I recharge. I'm going to call it recharging because escaping doesn't sound near as good or responsible. But yeah, when it gets tough, I'm going to grab a book and I'm just going to hide out in my bedroom and I'm going to lose myself in completely over the top romance books and books about dragons and demons or whatever else I see. I don't, it just, as long as I'm reading, that's my happy place. That's my, that's my recharge. So I encourage you to not follow my lead and to make an effort before your child is in second or third grade to find something that can help you keep going. And I know I've touched on a lot of, of the negative, but man, Logan, as tough as it can get and as hard as the hard times are, this kid makes so many deposits in my mom love bank. So many things that I'm able to draw on when it gets really rough. I feel like people have missed out that see Logan out in public and don't get to experience the personality he has at home because he's much more reserved in public. He's distrustful of people that come up to him. He used to only relate to adults. And then when he started school, he started getting in trouble. So now he doesn't trust adults either. He doesn't relate to anybody. He did have another boy his age in the youth group, Tristan, who if he or his mom ever hears this, I believe I've told him, but if not, Tristan, I saw you. I saw you reaching out to Logan over the years and trying and trying and trying again to be his friend. And I know that he was the one to rebuff that offer of friendship and seeing you sitting next to him when nobody else did and reaching out to him meant the world to me. It really made this mama's heart happy. And I will forever be grateful for you reaching out, even though he doesn't know how to be a friend back. But when Logan laughs, it is the most infectious, contagious laugh. And his smile just lights everything up. Oh, and he's funny. For a kid who didn't used to have any words at all, he is sarcastic and he won't stop talking and he he's empathetic he will be the first person to come up to me and give me a hug if i'm stressed or crying or if he thinks that i might be stressed or worried about anything he will come up and ask me if i need a hug or give me a shoulder massage or just step in to make sure that i'm okay he is right there with that and when he's on his computer and he's reading something funny or watching a funny video, he just can't stop laughing. And he will have his headset on and he won't ever know this, but the rest of us will be dying laughing just hearing him because it's the best sound and it's just so fun. And oh man, he brings sunshine, so much sunshine in this house. And it's just, it's the best. There's nothing like it. I wish I could bottle that up and sell it for anybody dealing with depression or anybody who gets sad because, man, it just perks you right up. Raising a special needs kid is tough, definitely. But there's so many good sides of it too. I feel like we learn to appreciate all the little things that 
people with kids who are normal or neurotypical take for granted. We celebrate all the little things. New skills are reason to go out for ice cream or have a little mini party or take the kids to the arcade because we're celebrating. We notice all the little things, all the things that he has struggled with. It's also helped us relax a little bit with his brother and sister to where I am not as anal about everything being perfect. I have learned to be okay with the house being a little bit messy because it means that we were able to get through a hard day. I have learned to turn my eye on them putting their clothes away, knowing that by the time they hit those dresser, they're not going to be folded anymore, but it means they did everything themselves. And it's one less chore that I have to do. So my housekeeping standards, while never high, admittedly, they're definitely relaxed because if it means the kids are doing things, I'm okay with that burden being taken off my shoulder, no matter what it looks like. I do expect them to do their best, but I don't expect them to have the mom standards that I have. It's also made me realize that I have way more patience and strength inside me than I ever thought possible. I find it funny when people comment on me that I have so much patience and sunshine and everything because I feel like that's not really who I am, but I have forced myself to be so patient through the years that that's just there now. It's ingrained now. So while I don't think of myself as patient, I know that I have developed that and it's, it's been really good. It's taught me a level of compassion and empathy that I didn't have before either, especially if I see moms in the store struggling with unruly kids. My first thought is always, oh, you know, it was a sensory overload or something along those lines. And I totally tried to, if nothing else, just through a nod at mom, let her know that, hey, I've been there. You're going to get through this. It'll be okay. The thing with special needs kids is people say, God only gives special needs kids to special families. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's a load of crap. So no offense, but it really, really is. Because if that's the truth, then all you parents out there who have neurotypical kids, guess what? You're not special. God doesn't think you're special or that you're good enough. And honestly, how ridiculous is that? It's not that God gives these kids to special families or to families who can handle it, because I've seen cases where families aren't stepping up to the plate and they can handle it. And it's not a good situation. But what it does is it gives you an opportunity to step up to the plate and to dig deeper and to find those things in yourself that you didn't realize that you had. And it allows you to draw on all of that strength and to really, really put your trust and faith in God that he knows, he knows where you're headed and allows you to build that strong relationship with your spouse and pull your family together in a different way. That's what it does. And I just want to encourage everybody who is just starting out in this journey, whether you're waiting on a diagnosis or you just got that diagnosis or you're months or years into this, just to keep going. 
just to keep going and know you will get through this. You will get through this and it will get easier. Whether it gets easier because your child will learn new skills or it will get easier just because you will have that routine down and you'll know what to expect. It does get better. Rely on those that you trust. Join communities, special needs communities online or in your neighborhood if you have to. Don't isolate yourself, which is almost impossible sometimes. But make sure that you're keeping connected with somebody, somebody in the outside world, just so you have an adult that you can turn to at times. But make sure you celebrate all those little moments. Don't take those for granted. Whether it's your child finally was potty trained or they finally are speaking again, or you were able to get a new service that you have been waiting years for, celebrate everything. Celebrate all of it and just look at that and hold on to the joyful moments and let those bad times just wash right off of you because you'll get through this and you won't just endure it. You're going to live a life that isn't what's considered typical. It's not other people's idea of normal, but it's your normal. It's your ordinary, and you need to make it amazingly ordinary. I'd like to thank everyone so much for joining me today. You'll find all the show notes, including links on where to find me at anamazinglyordinarylife.com slash episode one. If you liked today's episode, I would love it if you could leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. As always, I would love to hear your story. If you or someone you know is interested in being on the show, reach out and contact me at anamazinglyordinarylife.com. And don't forget to join me next week as we meet Carly Lobbs. We'll be discussing her daughter who has a chronic brain tumor, and we'll be talking about how the treatment and side effects brought about severe regression. It's an inspiring story of beating insurmountable odds and always pushing forward. I look forward to seeing you then.